This is Dan Fagella, and you're listening to AI in Industry. This is a special bonus episode, and it's a fun one for me because I followed this company for, geez, five or six years. Vicarious is the name of the company. They got started working on artificial general intelligence. They've raised over $100 million. This is a Bay Area-based firm. Delete George is one of the leaders of the company, and they are pressing forward with artificial intelligence for robotics applications. Uh, we speak with Delete this week about what is unique about AI applications for robotics, what are the unique requirements and constraints, and where is AI going to make a difference in the future of robotics? Delete talks about warehousing, he talks about shipping, uh, and use cases that I think a lot of the folks who are tuned in will be interested to understand in more detail. This episode is sponsored by Kisako Research. Kisako Research is putting on their Brain-Inspired Computing Congress, which takes place on April 21st and 22nd in Silicon Valley. Uh, you can learn more by Googling Brain-Inspired Computing Congress and checking out kisakoresearch.com. For more information about sponsoring episodes on AI and industry, you can learn more at emerj.com slash advertise and pick up our short PDF to learn more about reaching the largest AI-focused business audience on the web here on emerge.com. Without further ado, this is Delete George here on AI and Industry. So, Dilip, I wanted to start us off with just getting an understanding from you about how artificial intelligence differs when it's applied in robotics. A lot of our audience is used to, you know, chatbots and recommendation engines and fraud detection systems. What are the unique considerations for robotics? Thanks, Dan. Uh, thanks for having me here. Yeah, that's certainly. a that's a very good question. AI applied to robotics is, you know, very very different from fraud detection or classifying image, classifying your photos or anything like that. The difference is that robots act in the world and so to act in the world you your perception of the world has to be fairly accurate and uh, photo classification problem is very different because when you search for a cat if it shows you pictures of cat you are happy you don't uh, miss the photographs of the cat it did not detect this is the recall versus precision problem whereas in robotics you need to have high recall and high precision you you know if you want to grasp an object you need to be able to grasp that particular object you know you 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 don't get points for grasping some other object and if you <laughs> yeah, insert, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you, you you if you need to insert that object you need to know you know how to hold that object you need to sense the world around you fairly accurately and you need to be able to control your actions so that the insertion is correct and you need to incorporate feedback from the world in how you do that action all of those pieces are missing in a static classifier or you know fraud detection those are all static classification algorithms which is not what is needed for robotics you know what is needed is very accurate perception of the environment and using feedback to correct your actions all those you know planning trajectories all those things come into picture which are fundamentally not tackled in these other applications yeah, and also, I mean, it, that's not even to mention all of this uh, need to accurately see and sort of take actions on the environment. I mean, all of that on top of managing, you know, actuators and all, all the physical movement as well. There's so much to juggle. It almost feels like there's more that you have to get right in order to get some value out of it when it comes to machine learning and robotics. The way that you're describing it, it almost feels like that's the case. I don't know if you would describe it that way, but it certainly sounds that way. Absolutely. It's that, of course, you have to get the machine learning piece of it right. You have to get the AI piece of it right. But 
if you mess up any other piece, you know, you will not <laughs> yeah. get the value out of it. <laughs> so, it. So you have to you have to get everything right from all the different hardware pieces, camera, cabling uh, in your uh, in a robot, the number of things that can go wrong when you try to make robots work in a field is just a large number of things. So yeah, AI and machine learning are important. So is basic discipline of you know hardware changes, configuration changes, all those things. And yeah, and you have to get all of those right. Oh, goodness, yeah, it's a lot to manage. I mean, the physical world is so much harder to deal with than... Uh a nice website that we can split test and programmatically generate in real time for every user. And, you know, we don't actually have to move a robotic thing around. We just shuffle the code and then track the results. And we're not actually having to operate in the world. But when you have metal moving in the world, I mean, yes, so much more to to manage. Let me know, Dilip, how do those constraints, those kind of challenging realities, which obviously make this a very hard problem, how do those affect the kinds of use cases that you go after? Obviously, you folks are aiming to improve the capability of robotics with AI. That's kind of the business here. How do all those challenges make you have to think about problems in maybe a more, I don't know, a narrow or a tight or a well-defined way? Right. So uh, one thing is that we are not going after problems where if you make a mistake, you know, something really bad happens. Yeah. You know, that Those kinds of problems we are not going after. I would put self-driving cars in that category, you know, which is, you know, you need to get to 99.99999 accuracy, yeah. at, you know, real-time rate. So those kinds of problems we are not uh, going after. A large number of problems you can still solve by having... 99.5, 99.9 accuracy, and making an error is not fatal. It is those kinds of problems that we are going after. And to be specific, it is assembly line operations, which are mostly done manually now, except for things like car manufacturing, which is very, very structured. Most other assembly line operations, which uh, are unstructured, which are high mix, uh, where the product changes every few months, uh, those are all done manually now. And uh, there is a lot of opportunity for automation in that uh, space, a lot of opportunity for AI. And the reason why it is hard for robots is that you know, the environment changes quite often and you cannot use traditional robotics to reprogram the robot for every every new setting that is too expensive, too time consuming. So you need to have AI that can sense the world, have some amount of common sense and be adaptive so that, you know, when things change, you can uh, quickly repurpose it for uh, the new setting or quickly, uh, it can learn quickly for the new setting. So those are the kinds of problems we are applying it in, not one that requires close to 100% accuracy. Yeah. In yeah. Yeah. That's, that's curious because there is something in common with, let's call it the digital world AI applications there, where if, um, you know, for example, there's some situations within banking maybe where we really can't have 98, 99% certainty with how this particular trade is going to go or what decision we make with somebody else's money or whatever the case may be. Or, or in healthcare, obviously, is even, even an easier example where we have lives on the line where AI is kind of steering clear because we're looking at a probabilistic system. And for those things that are black and white, you know, vendors just don't want to step into that ring. It sounds like maybe in robotics, we'll see the same thing on some level where we'll see a lot of, obviously there's a lot of money in self-driving cars, but maybe we will see more companies as you folks are, are you know, as you're articulating, 
who are focusing on these not the end of the world don't need to be a hundred percent right. We just need to be close and we'd add a lot of business value. Do you think that that's the case, that those two worlds will have that commonality? Well, the the commonalities are at the very top level, but once you dig a little bit deeper, the commonality vanishes in the sense that, so think of, you know, medical imaging or, you know, making a trade, etc. Those are cases where, you know, you think the world is inherently noisy. So your decisions are expected to be noisy. So yeah, you interpret a medical image, there is some amount of confusion, confusion experts will disagree, and people expect that amount of noise in the system. You know, so okay, you you expect the output to be probabilistic. That is not the case when it comes to seeing, hey, is that trash can right there? Is that object right there? <laughs> you know, yeah. people don't disagree. People don't disagree and people don't make mistakes, you know. And even if people make mistakes, they recover from it so quickly. So people are so good at interacting with objects in the world. And uh, so the expectations are very different. And the assembly lines are constructed for people. Like, you know, they are constructed for people to be very, very effective. So all the they, you know, so you can attack it with uh, without having hundred percent accuracy. It is not the same expectation as in analyzing a digital image or making a trade, which are you know people expect those to be inherently noisy. But here, no, it's you no know, people don't expect it to be inherently noisy. And when errors are made, people notice it very quickly. Wow, yeah. that that thing did not make sense. You know, so so it's it's different uh, in that sense. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting distinction. Is that in some sort of, uh, you know, identify this object, you know, I- image recognition, you know, okay, maybe somebody would get it wrong. But like you said, in simply like picking up an item and putting it down, sure, a human might drop it, but they'd be able to grab it very quickly. You know, is that a trash can or not? Okay, you'd really have to be having a stroke to not really be certain about that. So there's almost somewhat of a more stringent requirement for, you know, that noisiness, quote unquote, is is maybe less permitted in these environments built for humans who really are never confused about a trash can, no matter what angle they look at it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's, again, just mightily challenging. I I say it a hundred, geez, if I I was in the AI space, I would definitely be intimidated by interacting in the physical world (laughs) because the physical world is so monstrous. All right. Final question here, Dilip, is around where you see AI really making a difference in robotics. You know, right now there's some kind of, you know, narrow use cases and we're familiar with some of the examples in autonomous vehicles and maybe a little bit in industrial robotics. But when you think about the next five years ahead and where Uh, a more adaptive approach to AI will make a difference, bearing in mind all of the the constraints you talked about with all those challenges. Where do you think this sort of upgrade of AI capability of robotics will actually have value? Because sometimes we just want a human to pick up the trash bucket. Where do you see machines making the biggest difference in the five years ahead? Yeah, so I would say the structured environments are, you know, fully automated, and it is in the semi-structured environments. It is, it is not, it is not as structured as automobile manufacturing, but it, it, the environment has still some structure, and it is not completely wild as, you know, uh, as a home environment where you know the toys are thrown around, uh, or you know, an arbitrary kitchen where you, have to, you don't know where things are. It's not like that. It is still semi-structured, but there is good amount of perception to be done, good amount of assembly to be done. Those are the areas in which I think robotics combined with AI, AI-powered robotics will start making a difference. And uh, and it will be it will be challenging initially. You, you will you have to find the right opportunities for scaling. And you also have to 
keep in mind the upstream and downstream operations from the robots. You know, so you won't be replacing the whole line with robots. You'll be replacing some operations with robots. So you have to keep in mind the upstream and downstream effects of those changes uh, on the human line. So it will be in assembly lines and in warehouses where these robots will get deployed. But you have to recognize the, the right opportunity and scale it in the right way. Yeah. You know, it's challenging because you could clearly see here that you would have to redesign the environment where the robots operate. It may require quite a different environment than humans. It might need, you know, wider alleyways or a greater kind of circle of space around it so that it doesn't bump into anybody. It may need to only interact with certain sized objects. So we may need to sort of change what comes down the the assembly line or what have you. And we could see how we'd really have to make a pretty big commitment sometimes, you know, maybe not all cases, but in some cases, we'd have to make a pretty big commitment to change our environment to adopt this technology. And that feels like a bit of a barrier to entry. You know, are, are there ways that companies are trying to get over that? Because I could see that as something that would limit a very big company from adopting the tech because of how much else would have to change upstream and downstream. How do you deal with that? Yeah, it it is a challenge for us to tackle. Like you, know, you sure, cannot yeah. expect uh, it is a, you cannot expect a company to completely change their process. You know, make a completely new warehouse to you know so that that's not how things are going to go in these settings. So you have to make the solution adapt to their needs. So you have to work within the footprint uh, that makes sense, and you have to make your systems smart enough uh, and flexible enough so that you are adapting to their needs rather than making too many asks of them, you know. So they will be open to some amount of changes because, you know, finally it is improving the process and uh, finally it is it is making, you know, a big change in how many human operators are required, how many operations can be handled. So it, it is definitely making a huge difference. Okay, perfect. Well, cool. Dilip, I sincerely appreciate you kind of breaking down what these semi-structured environments might look like and how they can be defined. And I think these are realistic challenges that almost anybody in heavy industry, warehousing, etc. is going to have to think through for themselves. And some of these distinctions have been new for me. So appreciate you helping teach the audience and, and joining us here on AI and Industry, Dilip. So thank you so much. Thanks so much, Dan. I had great fun talking to you. You asked very, very very pointy questions. So uh, I hope I, I answered them satisfactorily. It, it was great fun talking to you. Sure. Thank you. So that's all for this episode here on AI and Industry. Again, to learn more about the conference and to see Deleep in person, you can Google Kisako Research or Brain Inspired Computing Congress, April 21st to 22nd in Silicon Valley. Be sure to stay tuned for next Tuesday as we dive back into our normally scheduled program here on the AI and Industry podcast.